Hi, and welcome to the study of God's Word from the pulpit of First Baptist Church, Winton, California. One day out on the range where the deer and the antelope play, and where never is heard a discouraging word, and the skies are not cloudy all day, slim and dusty were out riding. As they were riding along, they happened upon two buffalo wallows. They stopped their horses and looked, and the buffalo were just having a jolly old time. They were turning over on their back and flopping, and turning over on the other side and flopping, and dust was in the air. And as they were watching, Slim turned to Dusty and said, Dusty, those two buffaloes are the scroungiest, the dirtiest, the mangiest, the ugliest buffalo I have ever seen. And Dusty waited a minute and then said, Yeah, Slim, I agree with you. Those are the two scroungiest and dirtiest and mangiest buffalo I've ever seen. Then Slim and Dusty rode off into the range where the deer and the antelope play and where never is heard a discouraging word and the skies are not cloudy all day. And then one of the buffalo looked at the other one, and in their buffalo language, he said, I think we just heard a discouraging word. <laughs> now, I'm not here to give you a discouraging word. I hope to encourage you this morning concerning what many call the Christian walk. I've learned to call it by a different name. It's the kingdom of God living. It's us living in the kingdom of God. Several weeks ago, while I was in Stanley Jones' class, Sunday school class, he was introducing the lesson. And he said that people, he felt that people um, who have something free are at least pay little about it, pay, pay little for it, uh, do not really take care of it. And then he gave an illustration. He said that he had a friend who uh, owns a rental house. <clears throat> and one day he decided he better go take a look at that rental house and see how things were going. And as he was checking it out, he discovered that the renter had converted the front room into a place to repair motorcycles. And the carpet was had grease on it, and the walls had oil and grease on them. And then in the class, the question was raised as to how Christians teach, treat what they receive as free. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And that by none of your works, it is the gift of God. In other words, you didn't pay for salvation. You received it as a free gift of all our sins being forgiven. From the time we first sinned until the time we die. It's all forgiven. And then we have to ask ourselves, how do we treat that free gift that God has given to us. About 10 years ago, 
I was uh, interim pastor, and, and one day as I was doing my studying and reading, uh, the author of the book that I was reading said that, that he, um, he gave us the practice that he used for studying the Bible. He said he would take a short section of three or four chapters out of a book, or maybe a short book like Galatians or Philippians, and he would read those uh, short verse or chapters or book for four to six weeks. And each day he would have his notebook at hand and make some notes of what he had read. I'm not sure why I decided to do it, but uh, I'd never done Bible study that way. So I decided that I would uh, try uh, doing a Bible study on Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And each day as I took notes, I began to discover something that I know I'd heard many times, but I had never really discovered it for myself. As a result of that, I preached a short series of sermons. You notice short, short sermon. It was not short sermons. It was a short series of sermons um, on the Sermon on the Mount. And I also uh, made a list of what Jesus had said were the principles of the kingdom of God. How many of you got these sheets? If you don't, if you don't have them, um, please pick one up and get one before you leave. These are the things I wrote down from that particular study. I'm going to say some things that possibly will shock you and I hope cause you to listen very carefully. There are only two times that Jesus ever mentioned being saved. Did you hear me? He only mentioned being saved two times. In John 12, 47, he said, I came not to the world to judge the world, but to save the world. And then in Luke 19, 10, he said, I came to seek and to save with that which was lost. Now, by the way, that's his life principle. I came to do this. I came to save and to seek that which was lost, his life principle. But as far as I can tell, the only two times that the, in the gospel Jesus ever mentioned about being saved was those two times. Now, he does talk about salvation in several different places, but he, he does not mention the word salvation. Uh, and in the writings of Paul, it's really where we begin to get the doctrine of salvation, of how to be saved, etc., uh, we do not find that very clear in the Gospels at all. Uh, and, and don't get me wrong, I'm not, I'm not belittling salvation. Salvation is the most important step a person can take in their life. And Jesus' purpose was to come and save that which was lost. He paid the price of redemption for us. We who were sinners, we who were apart from God, Christ died on the cross as the redemption for our sins that we have committed. 
But Jesus did not invite us to heaven. Instead, Jesus invited you to come live in the kingdom of God. You won't find Jesus inviting people to heaven. You will find him inviting people to come and live in the kingdom of God. When John the Baptist was introducing Jesus to the masses, he said, now the kingdom of God is at hand. In John 3, we have the famous account of a member of the Pharisee who came to Jesus at night. Now, he was a very religious man, or he would not have been a Pharisee. But he came to Jesus, and in the process, uh, and you who have witnessed to others have used this account probably many times. But Jesus said to the man something different than what we say. He said, Nicodemus, you cannot enter the kingdom of God except you're born again. The catch is we do not tell them that. We tell them uh, you cannot be saved. I'm sorry. You cannot be saved without being born again. Did you hear the difference? Jesus did not invite the individual to be saved. He invited them into the kingdom of God. You may be saying, well, preacher, that's a moot point because it's talking about the same thing. Well, yes and no. You see, when we talk to a person about being saved and salvation, we do not explain that they are entering a new kingdom. When they're saved, they're entering a new kingdom, one that is completely, entirely different than the world system that we live in. Many people who become saved just think that their sins are forgiven and they're going to heaven. They think that's a guarantee, a guaranteed ticket to go to heaven when I die. But Jesus was inviting you to live in a kingdom. He was inviting you to live in a different kingdom than the kingdom of this world. Further in, in John 3, verse 18, Jesus said, My kingdom is not of this world. You hear what he's saying? My kingdom is not like this world kingdom. My kingdom is different. In John 18, while he was before Pilate, Pilate asked him if he was a king. And Jesus told Pilate, my kingdom, my kingdom. He was a king. My kingdom is not of the world system. It's different. In John 4, Jesus was uh, encountered by a Samaritan woman at the well at the bottom of a hill where the city of Sychar uh, was. He proceeded to talk to her about the living water, which causes a person to never thirst again. And so she said, I'd like to have some of that kind of water so I wouldn't have to come to this well again. And then Jesus got into the touchy subject of her lifestyle. How many times have you been married? Or how many husbands do you have? Or who is your husband now? 
touchy lifestyle. And then she began to realize that Jesus was not talking about physical water. He was talking about something that would come into her life and change her very life, lifestyle. She would not be living in the world where she divorced and remarried and divorced and remarried and divorced and remarried again. She would be living in a, in a kingdom where she would be at peace with everything that was there. Now, I said a bit ago that Jesus never used the word salvation except twice. However, in Matthew, he talks about the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven 56 times. In Mark, he uses that phrase 22 times. In Luke, he used it 45 times. And in John, he used the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven 25 times. When you add those, time, those places where he talked about the kingdom of God up, it amounts to 168 times. But only two times he talked about salvation. What I'm saying is, and, and don't get me out of context, I'm not talking and telling you not being saved is important. Becoming saved or being born again is the only way you will get into the kingdom of heaven. It's a, it's a, it's a narrow door, only one door, that you get into the kingdom of heaven. And that's through Jesus Christ. So I'm not, I'm not belittling the importance. What I am saying is that Jesus came to provide for people a way to be saved through his death on the cross. But he was very, very interested in what happens when you get into his kingdom. And not just continue to live in the world system. You see, what has happened today, I think, most often is that individuals have come to accept Christ as their Savior but have never stepped into the kingdom of God. They have lived in the world system so so long and the world system is, is such a, a pull that they have never really stepped out and begun to live a life in the kingdom of God. And one thing more I want to make clear before I get on with the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is both here, listen to me, the kingdom of God is here, but it's also a there. When you are saved and you were transferred into the kingdom of God, and God, the Holy Spirit, came into your life to live and to help us live that new life that he wants us to live. Then we become kingdom of God people. And Jesus wanted us to live like kingdom people in the here and now. In the interim. That's what I'm talking about. Now there will be a day where we draw our last breath, our Christ comes... And we will enter into the perfect kingdom of God. But until that time, we are to live in his kingdom 
and live in his kingdom the way he taught us to live according to those principles. Now I want to go back to Matthew 5, 6, and 7. I said that in my note-taking I had discovered some things I'm not sure I'd ever heard, or that I'm sure I had heard before. But it, it was at that point that I really began to understand what Jesus was talking about, about the kingdom of God and the principles. And in these three chapters, Jesus lists what the kingdom of God principles are. I wrote down 34, 34 different principles. They're in these. Uh, there may be some others that I missed, and maybe I elaborated on one that's not there. But basically, in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, you will find the principles of living in the kingdom of God. And by the way, they're completely opposite to the world system. And we are living in that world system as aliens. We're we are kingdom of God people living in this alien world to which we're, uh, which we're not a part of or shouldn't be a part of. But uh, these 34 principles, uh, Paul elaborates on them um, in many different places in his letters. But you will not find any new principles. Paul elaborates on them, but he simply does that. He elaborates. He does not bring any new principles. Uh, he may state them in a different way, but basically they are the restatements of Jesus' principles of living in God's kingdom. Now some may look at that and say, I, I don't like hard and fast rules. Uh, I, 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 like, I like to have a little leeway or a little bit of wiggle room. When I look at that principle, I will say, well, maybe he didn't really mean that. Maybe I can do this instead of that. But Jesus never said there are some exceptions. He said if you're, if, if you're living um, in a way that the kingdom of God and this other person still just does the same thing to you over and over, then, then maybe it's okay for you to go ahead and do something else. He never gave exceptions. They were just the principles that were there. And some individuals call this legalism. I don't call it legalism. They're just the principles that Jesus laid out for people that are saved. He said, if you're going to be in my kingdom, this is the way you live. Otherwise, you'll be living in the world system. And I'm not telling you what Ray said when I uh, refer to these principles. I'm simply telling you that Jesus said them, and those are the things that I wrote down. Uh, in the... Uh, now, let me catch up on my notes here. I'm getting ahead of myself. Jesus never said that there were exceptions. Uh, if, you're, if your spouse doesn't live that way, 
he doesn't say there's exceptions if your parent children if your parent doesn't live this way he didn't say there are exceptions if your employer doesn't treat you that way he didn't say there are exceptions if your working partner treats you like the world then you can do a different thing he just said if you're a kingdom person this is the way you live in chapter 5 of Matthew, Jesus invited his disciples to come apart from the crowd. Uh, he, and he preached a sermon to them. We call it the Sermon on the Mount. Many ca- uh, scholars call this the manifesto of the kingdom or the constitution of the kingdom of God. I, I believe that he only invited his, uh, his followers to come. Now, there may have been some others there. But these principles are not for the world. They are for people who come to Christ. And Christ expects us to live by the principles that he has given to us. There are good things for everybody. But he didn't give them to everybody. And, and one of the problems sometimes I think that we face is we try to enforce the principles of the kingdom of God on the world. Jesus never told us to enforce principles on others. He just said for us to live according to those principles. When you look uh, at them, you're going to say, there's no way that I can live according to those principles. They're too hard. And, And that's why in John 14, Jesus said, He was going to go away, but he was going to send another comforter to come. And in the Greek, when he uses the word another comforter, it's the word another one just exactly like I am. So he was sending the Holy Spirit exactly like Christ. And the Holy Spirit, when you come into his kingdom... The Holy Spirit comes into your life at that time. You know, we talked about baptism in the Holy Spirit. That's, that's what happens then. You are baptized in the Holy Spirit. He immerses you into that new kingdom. And when we accept Christ as Savior um, and enter into this new kingdom, then we receive part of the Godhead, the Holy Spirit, to live in us. And He, the Holy Spirit begins to show us how to do it and empowers us how to live according to this new principles of this new kingdom. And it's so important that we understand this. None of us are going to live perfect lives after we enter into the kingdom of God. But the Holy Spirit is there to bring conviction on your life and say to you, Ray, you just missed the boat yesterday. I mean, let me rephrase that. You just missed the boat right now. I was at a, a place yesterday and they had advertised a certain thing for a certain price and the manager came and talked to me and said, no, we're not doing that. And I said, and walked out. And the Holy Spirit said to me, Ray, 
That's not kingdom principles. That's not kingdom living. That's what the Holy Spirit does. He says to us, you just fouled up right there. And then what do we do? Well, the Holy Spirit is in us. He's convicted us. And so we come to Him again and say, God, I, I messed up. Help me to know how to live in your kingdom. Empower me to live in your kingdom. We have 34 items here. <laughs> There's no way we can cover all of them, but I want to take two of them this morning and try to show us how these apply. You see, we are so... We, we as aliens are living in this world and we have we can't get away from what the world system is like and so whenever we read one of the principles then we have to think about how we're going to apply it you see these were not written just to be written Jesus didn't speak them just to be speaking Jesus said these things for us to apply them. If we're going to live in his kingdom, we have to apply them. Now, Jesus didn't uh, outline all the different scenarios that you're going to face. He just said, here's the principle, and I want you to think about how you're going to apply it in your life. In the Beatitudes, it begins with the word blessed. Blessed are those who do this. Another translation says happy. Happy is the person who does this. Um, in uh, in uh, William Barclay's translation, not translation, but commentary on Matthew, he says the word blessed or happy was used when the people at that time talked about the island of Cyprus. It was uh, a happy island. It was called happy or blessed because the conditions there were so beautiful and so abundant that one would never have to go any other way. It was just a great place to live. And that's what Jesus is saying. The kingdom of God is a marvelous place to live and you will be blessed and happy and filled with joy as you live according to his principles in the kingdom of God. Now, the, the, there's eight Beatitudes and, and the eight Beatitudes really are a synopsis of all of the rest of the Sermon on the Mount. When you read those first Beatitudes, the first eight, you will recognize that all the rest of them sprout from those eight. Um, the first three deal with how to be saved. He said that uh, an individual becomes dreadfully aware of what life looks like and the type of life that I'm living. I, I think probably most of you will remember the first time that you recognized that you were a sinner. 
I remember I was in the grocery store with my mother who was buying groceries, weekly groceries. I was probably five years old and I was on the candy aisle and there were all types of goodies there. And I looked up one way and down the other and there was no one else in the aisle. So I reached over and grabbed one of the candy bars and put it in my pocket. And I can still remember the anxiety that I felt until we got out of that store. And I still had that anxiety until we got home and I could find a, a hiding place where I could eat that candy bar and then hide the results, bury it somewhere. You all can probably remember the first time you encountered the fact that you were a sinner. That's what Jesus is talking about here. And then, then after that happens, we begin to mourn for the way of life that we're living. And we recognize the way I'm living is not, it's not a happy life. It's not a joy-filled life. I, I have all these things that are going wrong. And in that process, we encounter Christ. And He becomes our Savior. And He transfers us into His kingdom. Now the rest of the Beatitudes deal with how we live in that kingdom. As I said, I'm going to take two of them. Chapter 5, verse 41 says, Whoever forces you to go with me one mile, go with him two. This comes from, from a law that the Romans had passed concerning their soldiers. And when the soldier came by your house and he said, I want you to carry my pack, then you were forced to carry the soldier's pack for a mile and, and most individuals had marked it off. They had a stone or something and they would walk that mile with the soldier and rip off the pack and throw it down and stomp off going home. Jesus said, when he forces you to go one mile, I want you to go two. So when you get to that marker, you say, friend, uh, I've enjoyed talking with you and learning about you. Would you mind if I go ahead and walk with you one more mile? To most of us, this is a foreign concept. Here are two people who work in the same store. It's a big store and they have a night shift. Uh, their job is to restock the shelves. The supervisor comes to them and gives them a list uh, of their directions for the night. One of them looks at the list and said, thanks to himself, I can do this in six or seven hours and I can just go find a corner and sleep for a little while or maybe find another individual, play a few hands of uh, cards with him. The other one, after the first one has left, has his list. He looks it over and said, uh, you know, I, I think that I can, I can do what you've asked me to do in six or seven hours. What else would you like for me to do? That's going the second mile. A teenager is invited to babysit 
And so this teenager goes to the house and uh, after the children are put to bed, uh, they grab their phone, find the chair, grab their phone and start texting their friends or, or maybe just uh, listening to whatever it is that they listen to. Another teenager uh, is called and said, would you come babysit? And uh, they babysit for the night. And after the children are put to bed, the teen happens to see in the kitchen that the dishes on the table are still there. And there's pans on the counter that are dirty. And so this teenager goes into the kitchen and washes the dishes, maybe puts them in the washer, washes all the pans, uh, and generally cleans up the kitchen. A husband comes home from work. He sees his wife has had a really hard day with two little ones. He goes uh, to the den, settles himself down in front of the TV, watches the evening news, waiting for his wife to tell him that uh, dinner's ready. Another husband comes home and sees that his wife has uh, had a hard day with the little ones and said, Honey, why don't you go lay down and rest for a little bit? And uh, while you're there, I'll clean up all the mess that the kids have made, and then I'll see if I can make us something fairly easy for dinner. Wives, I'm not going to leave you out of it. One of your husband's biggest need is to be appreciated and encouraged. You may not always like what he want or like what he does and the things that that he's doing, but if you will make him be appreciated, tell him how much you appreciate what he's doing for you, and you will tell him how much you love him. You will begin to start seeing some amazing results in your husband. Matter of fact, if either one of you takes the kingdom of God, second mile principle, and starts to apply it in your home, then even if it's a difficult marriage, it will begin to smooth out. And if it's a good marriage, it will make that marriage even better. A second mile kingdom of God person does not do only what is expected we go further and we do more than is ever expected. Second mile, kingdom of God people. Another principle. Matthew 5, 38 and 39. Uh, let me read that one for you. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. But whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn to him also on the other. If anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, let him also have your coat. Hmm. You want to say ouch? This is a thorny, difficult thing that we're going to talk about. Let me break this down a little bit. 
you have a neighbor that's making things really difficult for you. They constantly toss their Coke and beer bottles over into your yard. Let's see how you're going to handle this. Well, maybe you could accidentally spill your garbage as you're on the way taking it out to the street in his front lawn. Or maybe you could take one of his glass bottles that he threw over and and accidentally drop it on his driveway so that the glass is shattered everywhere. Or maybe you could do something else. You see that their garbage can is still by their house. And so you begin to take their garbage can out every time the uh, day rolls around. And you pick up all the garbage that's laid around there. Let's take another. Here's a situation where a person is spreading stories about you. And when you're around, they make sarcastic remarks about you. What do you do? Well, you could dig up some dirt on them and just sort of spread it around. No, it's really not really not bad. It's not gossip. It's just, you know, just telling other people. Or maybe you could do something different. Maybe you could put that person on your prayer list and ask God to really begin to bless their socks off. Bless that person, God. He may not be worthy. God, would you just bless that individual? And when something sarcastic is said to you, you've learned how to use sarcasm. And so you just bite right back with sarcasm in that individual's face because you don't want to be put down. You want to be on top. And so you say that sarcastic thing right back to them. Or maybe you could... uh, be a kingdom of God person and begin to do something kind to that individual. I know this is a thorny subject. The Ten Commandments do give us the the ownership, the right of ownership. When the Tenth Command, when the Ten Commandments says, "You shall not steal," it it is taken for granted that you own something. I own property. I own a house. I own some money, uh, and and I own my ego. Uh, So you have something that another person could steal, but to be real in the kingdom of God, you have to deal with this issue of revenge or retaliation. I was listening to a program on the radio the other day, and and they, they, there was an issue that was brought up and people were calling in telling how to get revenge. That's the world system, friends. That's the way the world acts. Get revenge. Be on top. Now, there's 32 others. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> another week. Some of them are not as hard as these two, but all of them are exactly opposite of the way the world acts, the normal way of acting. Be liberal in helping others. 
Love your enemy. Do something kind to that neighbor across the street. Or when, when you give something, uh, don't do it with, 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 with a showmanship. Look what I've done. No, I did this. Another principle says that the kingdom of God person cannot serve God and at the same time put other, other things on a higher plane than they do God. I know that in the society that we live, it, it has all kinds of events and things on Sunday that you might like to go to. Now, I'm not a legalist about Sunday as the Puritans were, but it is a day set aside for us to worship and for instruction. Jesus said it would never, uh, Jesus never said it would be easy to be a kingdom of God person. It's pretty much acting opposite of the way the world acts. I have a deep, deep feeling that the world has pretty much written off the church and Christians. And I think the reason that the world has written off Christians and Christianity is because the Christians act almost the same as the world. There's not much difference. And so they say to themselves, why would I want to be a Christian? Why would I want to go to church if all those people act like the world? I don't see any difference in them. So why should I be uh, a Christian? Think about the negativity of your speech. Think about the anger in your speech when you're talking with a person of a different point of view. Dare I say political? When you're talking with that person that differs with you politically and you rant and rave about your position, my position is right. When you finish, ask yourself if you feel better. If you're honest with yourself, you'll feel worse after all of that ranting concerning politics. Ask yourself if I feel more Christ-like. Ask yourself if I could tell that person how much you love them after you have gone through all of this ranting against them. I want to close by using the last verses of chapter 7. Jesus said there were two men who wanted to build a house. One was a wise man, and he proceeded by digging down deep until he found the bedrock. And then he began to build his house on that bedrock. The other man was careless and wanted to do the quick and easy way, and so he just built a house on the sand. 
as far as we can tell from his illustration, the houses were exactly alike. Maybe they even used the same blueprint. We don't know. But they were pretty much the same, except for the foundation. Then the storms and the floods came, and the house that had a firm foundation withstood all the storms and the floods. But the house that was built on the sand was swept away and destroyed. And Jesus differentiated between these two men as one being wise and the other foolish. Now I want you to listen to two verses from that. Chapter 7, verse 24. Everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them is like the wise man who built his house on the rock. Verse 26. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them is like a foolish man. Now, when Jesus said, everyone who hears these words of mine, he was referring to the entire sermon that he had just preached. Chapter 5, 6, and 7. The principles of the kingdom of God was what he was referring to. He said the wise man is going to live according to these principles. The fool is going to live according to the world principles that are there. It's the difference between kingdom of God living and world living. And one person is a fool and one person is a wise man. I'm not going to say that a person who lives in the world is not a Christian. That's a, that's a difficult area. But what I am saying is if you are living pretty much like the world, then I want you to examine very carefully where you are in the kingdom of God. Jesus did say you were a fool if you lived according to the world system. One more thing. As you read these principles that I have uh, outlined, listed for the kingdom of God person, we have to come back to one of my original statements. This is impossible for us to do. We can't do it by ourselves. But God sent the Comforter, the Holy Spirit, to come live in our life and to direct us correct us, empower us to be able to live according to the kingdom of God. Now, when the Holy Spirit points out a thing, don't argue with them. Try to justify what you've done. Just keep short accounts. By that I mean immediately go to Him and say, God, I goofed. Forgive me for that. And amazingly, He does. My deep concern is for the church to really be kingdom of God people. I don't know if there's any commitments that any of you need to deal with about kingdom of God living this morning. It's always good to go to your prayer closet or somewhere by yourself and make a commitment to God. But I found that it's more lasting when another person, when you tell it to another person and that person prays with you, 
most of you do not know me very well, but I want to ask three or four deacons who feel comfortable to come to the front in just a moment. And if you have a decision that you need to make concerning living in God's kingdom, I invite you to come and pray with one of these deacons or Gary if uh, he would like to come also. I would be amiss if I didn't also include an invitation to those that are never part, have not become part of the kingdom of God. You are, you are in the world system and you realize that what I'm doing and the way I'm living is not what God would want me to do. And you begin to deal deeply with it and you come to the place where you say, I want to invite Christ into my life. I want to be born again. I want to enter into God's kingdom. Dave, would you come lead us in the invitation song, please? Have Sean, Laura, Nate. Would you stand, please? close, I want to give you a challenge. I would like to ask you to read these 34 principles every day for the next month. And then following that for the next three or four months, read them once a week. And then as you do it, I would ask that you Pick one of those principles 
every day and say, God, help me to do that thing today. Place someone in my life where I need to do that one thing to that person and for that person every day. No one's going to be checking on you to see if you did it or not. My experience that God's presence will be closer and your relationship will be better as you implement these principles in your life. They are so different than the world. The world will recognize that you are different. And if you haven't been living that way, if you've been living according to the world standard and you begin to start living according to Jesus' standard, people are going to see something's different about you. It's good to read them. But as I said a while ago, they were not meant just to be read. They were meant to be applied. They were meant to be applied. We can have it up here and just think, oh, that's something he said. But that's not what he wanted. He wanted us to be kingdom of God people and apply it to our everyday life. Let me lead us in prayer as we close. Our Heavenly Father, we've dealt with a difficult, difficult subject this morning. And we admit that we can't do this by ourselves. We, we need the power and the presence of your Holy Spirit every day. to live out your kingdom in your way. I would pray your blessings upon these, your people. Bless them as they begin to apply principles. I pray, Heavenly Father, that they will be life-changing experiences because of it. I pray this in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. Lord bless you. The Bible says, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If you've never trusted in Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, we invite you to call on him now and through a simple prayer of faith, give your life to him. If you're not attending a church that honors the Bible as the Word of God, we encourage you to locate and begin attending such a church in the area where you live. The message you have just heard was preached from the pulpit of First Baptist Church, Winton, California. For more information on the ministry of First Baptist Church, Winton, please visit our website at wintonchurch.org.